Utah is known for its high quality of life, the best skiing in the country, and beautiful landscapes, including five national parks. In 2020, it ranked in the top 20% of the nation in family and social related issues. We have the most family with kids in the nation and have the lowest divorce rate. Women in Utah work hard behind the scenes to support community life and families. But on paper, just looking at the numbers, Utah does not seem to be a great place for an American woman to live. Its rates for female education and employment are low. Its rates of domestic violence are heartbreakingly high. The numbers of women serving in elected office are lower than in many other states. But Dr. Susan Madsen has dedicated her career to changing that. I'm Michelle Welch from Utah Women's Walk, and this is Legacies, a podcast dedicated to preserving the inspiring stories and wisdom of Utah women. Girls and women, unlike boys and men, we do not see ourselves as leaders. We don't have, we're not generally socialized from a young age, and I see this even more in Utah. So what stories do, they can see themselves, they can connect with who they are. Even if it's just an element, they're like, oh, I like that too. She liked music, I like that too. That piece of identity, that's, that's, that's the key to me. Dr. Susan Madsen is a professor at Utah State University and the founding director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project, an initiative focused on strengthening the impact of Utah women and girls. I spoke with her in August of this last year. Susan, how did you get started down this path of studying female education and leadership in Utah? Well, I've been at Utah Valley University for 18 years. About 11 years ago is when I actually started the Utah Women in Education Project. Back then at the request of the Commissioner of Higher Education and the Governor's Office to really explore why more women weren't going and graduating from college. And it was supposed to be a one-year project and it's 11 years later and we're still working on, on it in the form of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. I switched universities actually because Utah State approached me a few times through the years, but this past year they approached me and really wanted me as a professor to come up and, and teach and do those things, but really felt the mission of Utah State University was so connected to what I was doing with the Utah Women and Leadership Project. They're a land-grant university, which means they have extension offices and regional campuses all around Utah. And one of my deep desires, Michelle, was to, you know, continue to influence women along the Wasatch Front, but also really find ways to support through events or research or resources women also in rural areas and regions around the state. So that's the main reason I transitioned to Utah State University so that I could get increased support in terms of really extending the reach of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. And we're still going to have a strong partnership with the Woodbury School of Business and other areas at Utah Valley University. And 
I still am doing my global work. I know you know about that too. So I found, I'm really passionate about changing things, leading social change in the state of Utah and, and doing that through research. I, you know, I'm a scholar and a researcher, but also when I can making that impact in different ways throughout the United States and in other countries as well. So 10 years ago, it was called the Utah Women in Education Project. And then a transition. Yeah. Tell me about that transition. I feel now at the Utah Women in Leadership Project that it encompasses the education component as well as the leadership. Occasionally, Michelle, people will ask me, well, what do some of your reports, how do they relate to leadership? Because we have reports on domestic violence and poverty and even cosmetic surgery in Utah women, those kinds of things. They're like, what does that have to do with leadership? I have to say that I, I'm very strongly opinionated about this because what we have found and what the research tells us is anything that impacts a woman's competence and her voice impacts leadership. If she's worried about feeding her children, if she's worried or, or recovering from some kind of assault, she will not be able to have the voice that she could have if she had that real confidence and support needed for her to really thrive, not just hang in there, not just strive, but actually thrive. As you listen to stories of Utah women, how does it impact your research or your thinking? Are stories important? Absolutely. So there's quite a bit of research on how women are impacted through stories, actually, and some within the area of women's leadership. One thing I'll say though, Michelle, that's really important is girls and women, unlike boys and men, we do not see ourselves as leaders. We're not generally socialized from a young age. And I see this even more in Utah to see ourselves as leaders. It's so important. I mean, we don't have a lot of women in, in high positions, so we don't have these role models out there often. So if a girl is, she doesn't see anyone else serving in public office, she's not going to think to herself as she's growing up, you know, I want to prepare to run for office. So what stories do, specifically your stories, whether it's from history or current stories, whether they lead in their homes or their communities or are leaders in business or in higher education, our principals, our superintendents, or whatever it is, when girls and young women hear those stories, they can see themselves, they can connect with who they are. Even if it's just an element, they're like, oh, I like that too. She liked music, I like that too. That piece of identity, that's the key to me. For them to hear even one thing in a story from a woman's past or present woman, that they say, I can do that too. I can get my education. I can see myself actually leading and influencing, and maybe I should aspire to lead. Just in 2019, you did keynotes in the United Arab Emirates, the UK, Lithuania, Germany, and Denmark. I'm interested in what did you speak about and any meaningful experiences that you've had outside of the United States? I love meeting women from all different countries. In fact, every year I go to Hawaii and do a two-day program for the East-West Center for 16 women from 16 Asia-Pacific countries. Hmm. And every year, so I've done this for 10 years, and so I have these women from all different cultures, and it's so interesting to learn about the differences. But Michelle, one of the coolest things, 
I remember every year when I'm men there, as I hear accents from all these different countries, is how united women can be, how many things are so similar within our hearts and within our struggles. So I love that. Yes, last year I presented in the President's Palace in Lithuania, some other key areas in different countries. And oftentimes I switch each year sometimes in what I speak about, but I've been for the last year really focusing on some research around women's deep identity and also our calling and purpose. So let me mention that second one because I speak about that often. What is so fascinating to me is the research around women's leadership and calling and purpose. So the research says that when women, compared to men, when women feel called or feel a purpose to step forward and lead, 30% to 40% women more than men will step forward. So women need that call, we need that purpose, and calling can be religious or even not religious. But I've been speaking a lot about that and also about identity. How do you understand your own calling? 12 years ago, right before I took on this project, I had accomplished my big checklist. If you know StrengthsFinder, I'm an achiever. That's my number one. So I love lists and you know, all of us are different and I've accepted who I am. So I had a list of, I want this many publications, I want this, you know, really around my scholarship. And I had pretty much hit all of those. And I felt in my heart, I just still publish, but this is not everything. It's not fulfilling this need within my soul. And I will tell you, I'm a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. And I have always wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And in that year, as I was wrestling, I, it took me a whole year, I was wrestling back and forth with which direction do I go? People were encouraging me to run for office or to go into formal leadership within higher education. And I just wasn't feeling good about that. And I have to say, this was spiritual experience, but, but I was on a direct flight from, from Paris to Salt Lake. They're long flights. I don't know if you've been on one of those before, but I had my journal, I had different, you know, information on different choices that I could make. I had my Latter-day Saint scriptures. I had everything that I wanted. And I tell you, I get a little teary-eyed, but about three or four hours into that trip, when I was journaling, it was like I was close to heaven. I was up there in the sky. <laughs> but I had about four hours of pure revelation come to me. And when I stepped off the plane, I knew that I needed to put a lot of my efforts moving forward into strengthening the impact of Utah girls and women. And from that moment, I stepped off. I, my husband picked me up that time from the airport and told him what had happened, and I have not looked back. And it's, it feels like where I'm needed. It feels like where my head my intellect, where my heart, and where my hands can make the most difference in this world. I've been listening to your podcast, the Utah Women in Leadership podcast, and the one episode I really appreciated was about how critical confidence is for women. What does your research show there? The research actually says that boys and girls are fairly equal in confidence levels until they hit puberty, which has been 10 to 13, 
but puberty is hitting some girls even even by eight now. After that happens, there really is a separation in confidence between boys and girls. And the socialization that comes into play, so confidence really is about three things. It's about genetics, because there's differences in hormones and neurotransmitters, and, but it's about socialization and your upbringing. So when you get into elementary school and different all the way up, there really is a difference in the way that girls and boys are treated. And the third area, so we say genetics, socialization, and then choice. A lot of girls when they're growing up don't know they have a choice to be more confident unless they have some really good people, men or women that impact them and help them increase that confidence. So why it's so important is that we need it every day, but confidence breeds confidence. So if we, as girls and as women, we are socialized and part of our hormones plan that we don't like failure, so we don't wanna try. We don't take as many risks, but what we know is we don't get confidence unless we step forward, unless we act. We can't just sit around and think. Self-esteem can kind of be like that, right? Mm-hmm. But it, we don't get confidence unless we do something. If we wanna be better at public speaking, we have to do public speaking. <laughs> but then we open ourselves up as women to more failure. Does that make sense? Yes. So the best thing I'll just tell you as I wrap up this question, one of the best things that women can do to increase confidence is to increase their self-compassion. People may think, what is she talking about? But the more we're okay with saying, I tried, I did the best I can. I'm forgiving myself if I wasn't, I'm putting in quote marks, perfect. The more confidence she'll actually get. So it's fascinating to look at the literature on that. And it's fun to work with girls and women and see that those light bulbs go off and see them trying things and being okay with, oh, it didn't go so well, that's okay. I don't have to be perfect. As you know, Michelle, the research is quite clear that women, much more than men are perfectionistic. Mm -hmm. And that actually is a really dangerous thing for confidence. Tell me the ways that you see, I mean, you've been doing this for over a decade now. Tell me the ways in which you have seen Utah women improve Hopefully there are a few areas that we're getting better at. What are those areas and how are we doing well? So for many of our reports now, we've done a three or four year update and we have seen some slight progress in certain areas. For instance, women in politics, there's some slight increases in women in politics. And when you look at like the state legislature, even one more woman makes a big difference in, in terms of the percentage. We still need more, but we've seen some energy moving forward. We don't have an update from this last election, but I believe there's more women on city councils. We're gonna have to do another report. So I think there's some great energy. We found a a slight increase in women serving on state boards and commissions. And actually the state government, after our first report three or four years ago, really tried to make it a priority to think about diversity more. And so we did see that increase. We still need more, but we saw that increase. Uh, The the only one that really, there were a few that stayed about even in three or four years of research. The one that went down 
was women on boards and in top CEO positions within business. That one actually went backwards a little bit. And hmm. I, I believe that one is more because more tech companies are moving into Utah, which we love on the one hand. But on the other hand, women in Utah, you see this nationally and globally, but women in Utah tend to really stay within more traditional areas, more than even women outside of Utah and around the world. So you see women, you don't see as many women, even as, as other states in tech companies and so forth. So I do believe that we are making some progress. The conversation has changed in the last decade, I have to say. And I do think, I'll take credit for some of that, my team and I, that when you have good data, when you have research, when you have reports sitting there to say this is how it is, it helps. So you're just not talking you know, a bit in the air just uh, with these fuzzy numbers. I think we are, have made some slight progress. We have more work to do, but, but things are moving in the conversation. Michelle, even in the last year, year and a half, I have had way more men come and talk to me about how can I better support women? Give me tools. Help me understand what I can do better. That's a good sign. What would be your best advice for Utah women? If you could sit down, and you do sit down with hundreds and thousands of them, but what is your advice? What's your best advice? The, this will not surprise you, Michelle, but I always, the first thing I do is whether people contact me and want advice on starting businesses or whatever it is, running for office, the first thing I say, tell me about your college education. Where are you at? Because what the research is, and that's where I really started 11 years ago, and I did so much research and reading on the value of degrees and certificates. And you can start with certificates, but an associate degree is, is a bit better, and you get more benefits, and then a bachelor's degree is better than that, and then higher education. I would think there are hundreds of women in the state of Utah who have gone back to college because I've I've uh, really encouraged them to do so. So that is my number one. Uh, two, often these days, I'm trying to help women really acknowledge and see their gifts and their talents and their strengths. What I found in Utah, more than other places, is that women are not embracing and acknowledging their gifts and strengths. They are socialized often into, and I'm putting my fingers up, quote marks, to be humble. But there's humility just means being teachable. It doesn't mean you have to be small. But many women think, oh, if I say what I'm strengths, then I'm looking cocky and, you know, kind of looking like they've seen boys and men do. And I just gave this speech recently. When you know when you know with confidence your gifts and your talents and your strengths, you actually can serve God in better ways, or you can serve society in better ways. Offering your gifts and your talents to other people is not cocky, and it's not a lack of humility. You can be confident and humble at the same time, but oftentimes women don't, don't get that. So when I'm doing workshops, I have women actually talk about their gifts or have someone tell them what they see their strengths and just have women say thank you and then close their mouths because we're tempted to say, but, you know, it's not, you know. 
just gracefully say thank you and then stop. So that's something we have to work with women on. So those are a few of the things that I'm interested in and that I'm concerned about and worried about. I love that advice. Get as much yeah. education as possible, right? Go yeah. as high as you can, as far as you can, and then to embrace your gifts and acknowledge your gifts. What I'd like to know is what you hope to be remembered for. I think, you know, my life mission is what this work is um, in terms of my professional and service work in the community is to strengthen the impact of other people. So when I see, especially girls and women, so I, I think my legacy, and of course I want to be known as someone that raised four good kids and grandkids and so forth, as most people do. But my hope is that uh, my legacy would be that people after I'm gone would say she really made a difference. She changed things for girls and women, whether it's uh, helping change things for sexual assault like we just talked about, or, or helping people gain their confidence or helping women decide to go back to college, um, that their lives are better because they made those choices, that their families' lives are better, and that Utah's a better place because of that. We are so grateful to Dr. Susan Madsen for sharing her insight with us today. To learn more about the Utah Women Leadership Project, visit usu.edu forward slash UWLP. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, as well as subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can access the full interview with Susan Madsen and many others on our website, utahwomenswalk.org. You can also visit the Utah Women's Walk exhibit where the monumental statue Connection by Ben Hammond is on display at Thanksgiving Point Gardens in Lehigh, Utah. A thank you to our producer and writer, Tamara Kemsley, and our editor, Ron Cool, And a special thanks to our supporters, Denise and Ellen Alexander, Ann and Roman Takasaki, Julie Bagley, and Shauna Duke. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Legacies.